Hey everybody, good to see you. Uh, I watched that opening video and I don't know um, if I should break out into ABBA songs because I'm fairly certain that's where they filmed the Mamma Mia. So I'm just saying, I'd... anyway. Before I get rolling, um, I want to talk just for a second uh, about faithfulness. Uh, today in our congregation, um, I want to hate when I get emotional about this stuff, but uh, today I want to congratulate um, Jane and Charles for 65 years of marriage. Thanks for going the distance. And I'm in a lot of trouble for saying that, but not as much trouble as Susan is for telling me that. So. Still 65 years. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Uh, we are working our way through the book of Ephesians. If you can't tell from the, uh, from the opening video, this letter that Paul, uh, a missionary in the Mediterranean world, wrote to a congregation that he started. And um, we're talking about it as living out loud because it's... It, it, in essence, that, that letter is about living out faith and living out purpose as Christians. And so we call this this idea of um, living out loud. And today we're about halfway through. We're going to finish up chapter 3. So if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 14. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to read through the verse first, and then we're going to pick it apart a little bit. And I'm going to read it in the New International Version. And then when we actually um, start digging into it, I'm going to be using the, the English Standard Version, and there's a reason for that. Um, I was just talking to someone beforehand. The NIV translation is very readable. It's, it's, a, it's a great um, translation to actually you know, talk about, and it's, it's, uh, uh, it's understandable. But if you're going to do some serious study, sometimes you need a, a translations that's a little more accurate. And the ESV, the English Standard Version, is that. And so I want you to hear it in the NIV, and then as we dissect it, I want you to, I want you to see it in the English Standard Version, um, because I think there's some nuances to it that we really need to pay close attention to. So let's uh, start with Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit and in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord and we believe it. I'm struck in this text by one particular verse. It's right there at the end of verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you may be filled, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now, in my mind, when I see that phrase or when I hear that phrase, filled up to all the fullness, that seems to me like living out loud. Why? Because I get so filled up with the fullness of God that it comes out and I can't help it. Does that make sense? I mean, when I, when I read that phrase, I think, okay, this is really what it's all about. This is, this is this idea of living out loud. I get filled, it just kind of spills over. That's a language that, that we use around here very often. But also, and at the same time, I'm reading that and I'm looking at my own life and I know that I'm not filled to the fullness of God. Does anybody else feel that way? Yeah. We think about this, and, and there are days, some days are better than others. Some days I'm feeling more full, and sometimes I'm feeling pretty empty. I don't understand why, but this last week, I had two Mondays right in a row. It's not fair. Okay? And by the end of Tuesday, which is Monday 2.0, I felt like pretty empty at that point. Maybe you've felt that way too. It, it happens. Um, occasionally, I feel somewhat full, but then I begin to worry that it's only this emotional feeling, and I'm like, I'm not sure that just emotion is really what the fullness of God is all about. No, I think it expresses itself in certain emotions, but I don't think it's just an emotional thing. And I find that kind of troubling um, because I have brothers and sisters in Christ who um, live kind of for that emotional high from week to week. And I'm like, okay, I understand that. I want to feel good too, but I'm not really sure that's what I would call the fullness of God. Does that make sense? So I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm not saying that their experience is incorrect or heretical. Or I'm not saying any of that. I'm just not sure that that emotional high is the same thing as the fullness of God. And so what would it be like to have this fullness of God? And more importantly, why is it necessary for Paul to point this out to us here in the middle of this letter? What's he trying to tell us here? That's the question. So last week, we talked a little bit about how chapter 3 is constructed. Jason, pull that up for me real quick. So we have this in, in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul starts, for this reason. And then he goes into this long di digression, which is kind of something that Paul does. 11 verses of digression. And we talked about that one last week. And then in verse 14, he picks it up again, for this reason. All right, so we've kind of got these bookends for this reason. He's, he's, he's getting going on a topic, then he digresses and he comes back to the topic for this reason. So he picks up his main thought again here in verse 14. Now, here's the question, just so that we can review this a little bit, what is this reason, right, for this reason? Well, it was in chapter 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, so you're being put together, you're being built into a temple, you are a family, and for this reason. Does this make sense? So he's picking up on this and he's moving, moving along. I think sometimes we have to be very careful when we're reading the Bible um, that we, we, we don't lose the forest by just looking at the trees. And this is why we constantly have to go back. He goes, okay, he's using for this reason. What is that reason? So this is, the re this is why we're looking back and, and taking a look at uh, chapter 2. 
Okay? So we're no longer strangers, we're fellow citizens, we're family members. For this reason, then he goes on, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, or uh, in the other translation is, I kneel. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now you can see if you get an NIV translation, this is a little different. So for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I kneel. Now this is unusual, and we need to pay close attention to this, because I think sometimes we, we skip over these things because we're like, oh yeah, you know, I grew up in church and I know that you're supposed to kneel when you pray. Okay, if you were a Jew in the first century, kneeling was unusual. Jews stood for prayer. The only time that you would kneel for prayer is that if you were in a particular state of contrition or earnestness. So here's Paul saying, for this reason, for this fact that you are being built together as a family, being built into a temple for the Spirit to dwell in, because of this, I kneel. I am earnestly doing something here. Does this make sense? There is an emphasis here. There is an energy behind what Paul is saying when he says, I kneel. Then verse 15, every family derives its name, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Well, this obviously references that digression last week. Remember we talked about, Paul was saying, there's a mystery here. And the mystery is that Jew and non-Jew are now part of the family of God. Every family, doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, doesn't matter what your last name is, every family comes from God because God is the progenitor of family. It's his idea. Now, we need to hit the pause button here because for some people this is really hard to listen to. Because some of us know exactly what it means to put the fun back in dysfunctional family, right? And we've experienced that. And so when we read the words about this being a family, we're like, mm, I don't know if I'm really excited about that. But you have to remember, this is, this is something that God is doing. That this is a new family. This is how it's supposed to be. This is what God wants. He's knitting us together to become this idea, his idea for what family ought to be like in heaven and on earth. And so all families really come from God. Verse 16, he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That he may be strengthened. Now this word here, strengthened, means to actually grow in strength. So it's not just a kind of one and done, um, wave a magic wand, boom, you're strong, but rather this is a growth, that you would grow in strength with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, let's talk about inner being, because <clears throat> this is interesting to me, in your inner being. Inner being, as it's used here, was very common among Greek writers, among Greek philosophers. Remember, Ephesus, the city, is a Greco-Roman city. It is a jewel of the empire. There are a lot of Greek philosophers and philosophical schools that have um, 
uh, branches, I would call it, satellites in this particular city. And so you have a population of people who are familiar with some of the philosophical thought. And so he uses this term. He doesn't use it very often, Paul, um, but he uses it a couple times. The first word is he uses it in Romans. And, and here it is. Paul writes, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. Anybody ever feel that way? For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You ever feel that way? I don't want to do that, but that's the thing that I end up doing, right? Why is it when my wife makes cookies, I am well aware of what's on top of the refrigerator? You know the feeling? And I know this is a silly example, but that's exactly what we're talking about. All of a sudden, you become a lot more aware of that thing that maybe you ought not be doing right now. Right? And that's what he's saying here. But he talks about it being in your inner being. This idea that my inner being and my outer kind of expression of it sometimes are, are not in alignment with one another. And I think that he had an idea in mind. Paul, being the, the uh, consummate theologian, probably re remembers or is recalling here a passage in Proverbs, which is this collection of ancient wisdom. Here it is. <clears throat> For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Um, if you are familiar with the King James Version, as a, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Do you remember this verse? And that's where this comes from. It's in Proverbs. For as a person thinks, this inner being, so is he. In other words, the things that go on internally inside of me are the very things that get expressed. Jesus actually made a comment about this one. He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So we know that there's something that's going on on the inside. And so here Paul is in Ephesians saying, I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner being, that inside, because that's when things get expressed. Is this beginning to make sense? Yeah, we've got to kind of dissect these things in a way to understand it. But when Paul uses this idea of inner being, it's the deepest part of us. And it's an it's a unusual phrase for him, but it, he uses it in the same way that he would talk about the human heart. The human heart. So, now here's a question. Big question, at least in my mind. Why? Why does Paul pray earnestly on his knees that we would be strengthened in our inner being. To, to what end? For what reason? Why is this Paul's prayer? Does this make sense? It's a great question to ask. Paul is kneeling. He's earnestly praying to be strengthened in, his, in your inner being. Why? Why is that? Well, fortunately, as he goes on in verse 17, we, we get a, a, a beginning glimpse of it. And the, the key here are the first two words, so that. Pray that you would be strengthened in your inner being so that. Oh, okay, here's the reason why. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. So he's praying for our inner 
being's strength so that. And here he lists a couple of things for us to pay attention to. The first one is that Christ may dwell in your hearts. I like this word, dwell. It means to settle, to move into the neighborhood, to make a home. It's a permanent thing. It is not a house guest that's just a visitor. The word dwell here is a very permanent word. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now this is an interesting concept. And this is the question that you should ask yourself. This would be a question that you should ask yourself the rest of the week. Why do I have to have strength in my inner being for Christ to dwell? Think about that. Paul wants you to have your inner being strengthened so that Christ can dwell in your heart. So there is somehow some type of connection between how Christ lives within you and the strength of your heart. Interesting, right? Interesting thought. He continues on. Uh, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, is the term here. And he talks about being able to comprehend with all the saints, that means everybody else in your community, be able to comprehend things like um, breadth and length and height and depth of Christ and, of course, his love. Now, one commentator um, talks about this idea that love has dimensions to it. Uh, and love in this way can actually be measured, which I thought was a really interesting thought. And uh, I mean, he had a, his way of understanding it, but I was thinking about this uh, a little bit just on my own. If we, if we look at Paul's words here, he talks about the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And it struck me, as I thought about this, and maybe you'll come up with a, a different way of understanding it, but this is the way I like to think about it. Christ's love is wide enough to include every person. Every person. Including the people you don't like. <laughs> right? It's long enough, His love is long enough to reach the person who's furthest away from Him. It's high enough to bring us up out of our foolishness. And it's deep enough to clean out the darkest recesses of our own hearts. That's the love of Christ. And that's what he wants. He wants all of us to comprehend it together with all the saints. That when you're feeling like you're experiencing something that's just too much for you, you rely on the community around you to remind you that the love of Christ is wider and longer and higher and deeper than what you have right now. If you don't have that kind of faith and love right now, that's okay. Borrow mine. Borrow the person next to you. That's why the community is so important here. And that's why he says, with all of the saints, that you would comprehend that there are dimensions to this that you don't normally see. And sometimes I need another person to point out those dimensions to me. It just often happens to be my wife. Or she'll remind me of something. Oh, yeah. I really like Dan's comment earlier about spiritual amnesia. That's going to take a cup of coffee this week. I'm going to be thinking about that one. Because that happens to me as well. And that's why we need each other to remind us that this love, this faith, this belief, this 
understanding has got a lot more dimensions to it than just what I can see. Because my view is biased and it is limited. And I need yours to help fill in some of those gaps. Is this beginning to make sense? So he prays that we would be strengthened in our inner beings, not only so that Christ can dwell, but also so that we can comprehend. Because it takes some mental horsepower to do that, especially when life's going crazy. And when you're feeling the pressure, it's easy to forget those things, and we have to be strengthened by that. And then, back to the verse, back to 19, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, and to know the love of Christ. This word know here is also a relatively unusual word in Greek, but it means to know by experience. And it surpasses, surpasses knowledge. You know, what I find helpful here is there's an American uh, pragmatist by the name of John Dewey. He's a philosopher in the end of the 19th century. And he talked at length, or he wrote at length, about the difference between knowledge and knowing. Those are two different things. Now, I can sit and explain to you everything you need to know about riding a bike. But the only way for you to know how to ride a bike is to actually get on the bike. You see the difference? Knowledge and knowing. I can give you the knowledge, but if you want to know, it takes experience. That's what Paul is talking about here. That you would know by experience the love of Christ, which surpasses the knowledge. I can tell you all you want to know about Jesus, but until you experience him, it's not going to be the same. Right? Some of you know this firsthand because you've experienced this. I think this is an important piece because we can know things in general and you can know about God, but my question is, do you know God? Can you know God? And the answer is yes. And of course, all of this comes together and he says that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And I'll tell you right now, that's going to take some strength to be able to, to have that fullness of God. So Paul is making a prayer here on behalf of the Ephesian church. And I want to break it down so that we can see this. Okay, next slide. That you would be strengthened in your, in your inner being so that, right? Strengthened in our inner being so that, first, Christ may be at home in our hearts. Paul wants us to be strengthened in our inner being so that Christ can be at home and then also that we may comprehend in community the enormous dimensions of his love that we might have some kind of communal understanding of what this is about. And that takes strength to do. Sometimes we have to have that inner strength to be able to point out to our brother and sister that they're missing out on the love of Christ here. Let me tell you, one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do is when you have to look at someone else and say, you've settled for something less than what God has in mind. That takes a lot of strength. It's not fun. We may comprehend in community the dimensions of his love. And also, we be strengthened in our inner being to experience his love. To actually experience it. Hmm. 
The love of Christ that comes from his residence inside of us is the fullness of God. Do you see that? When Jesus comes by his spirit, fills us up, that is the fullness of God. And that's what Paul wants for each one of us. But you have to notice Paul's beginning point. Strengthen in our inner being. That is his origin. He's praying for that to eventually lead us to the fullness. So strength and fullness go hand in hand. And so here's my point. Here's the thing I want you to meditate on the rest of the week. Here's the thing I want you to walk out the door with. This is, this is the big idea for today. Here it is. Love takes strength. And, and what's so interesting is most of you are like, duh, there's a bunch of songs about that. Yeah, I know. But the point is, do we fully understand what that means for us today? Love takes strength. You see, all of this is saying that love is our work. Remember a couple weeks ago? We learned very simply that we are not saved by our works, but we are saved for works. Right? Remember this? We're not saved by our works, but we are saved for good works. Love is our work. If we are supposed to reconcile and restore relationship, that will take a great reservoir of love to do. Because reconciliation is hard. Have you ever had a relationship that was broken and you were trying to put it back together again? It's hard work. And it takes strength. Because you know what? Reconciliation isn't natural for us. It is much easier to step away and not have contact with that person than to actually be reconciled and restore the relationship. So love takes strength. Because out of love is when we can reconcile and we can restore things. Secondly, living and relating as Christians is not passive and it sure ain't weak. Loving the most challenging individuals takes strength to do, and that's exactly who Christ called us to love. And in this moment, I have my own that I'm wrestling with. I got some people in my life that are just like, mm! and yet, that's who, who Jesus says I need to love. We give others dignity and respect that is not natural for us, for humans. And choosing to do that takes a great deal of strength. It takes strength for us to get outside of ourselves and to actually care about another person. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. There are certain, certain times you know, during the week when I wake up in the morning, I don't really want to love anybody else. I really like me. In fact, I'm going to take me out for coffee. But I don't necessarily want to be worried about that uh, the wife and kids, you know, want food and they want to do stuff. I would rather do my thing. I'm really good about that part. But it takes strength to go, you know what? I'm in this relationship. I have these children. This is who God has given me. This is the life that I lead. These are the choices that I made. I need the strength to actually not choose them once but to continue to choose them over and over and over and over again. Love is about choosing, and choosing sometimes takes a great deal of strength. So strengthened, this idea of being able to grow in our strength. 
It takes time and it takes practice. You're not going to get it right the first time, and that's okay. So what we do is we experience the love of Christ. We share that love with others, which helps us to experience, which helps us to share, which helps us to experience, which helps us to share, what helps us to experience. What helps us to share. You see where this is going? It builds on one another, and it builds up some momentum, and that as that happens, you become strengthened to do it more. And I think that that piece of the puzzle is what we miss out on. This is how we build strength. We experience in order to share, experience in order to share, and on and on it goes. And when you start to see that, when you start building that momentum, guess what? That's the fullness of God. God's economy is not for you just to experience his love and go home, but to share it with others. And the words that we use around here is that you would be filled up so that it would spill out onto someone else. And I still think that that's true. And if you are an old Wesleyan, that's what we call holiness. That's what we call sanctification, if you like that word. That's when we become disciples of Jesus, is when we actually experience that. And that is the fullness of God. And brothers and sisters, that's what I call living out loud. Because this world, the people that you encounter day in and day out, They don't need to hear more words. They need to experience Jesus and his love. I've said this before. Does Tulsa need another church? No. Tulsa needs a whole lot of people acting like Jesus. 